In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing lessons learned from another church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2005 Sash Texas Assembly of God Church Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's get into the Bible. The the verse we have for you today is John 15, verse 19, and it reads like this. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. For a lot of church violence, for a lot of crime, really, all violent crime, much of violent crime, it's motivated by hate. It's motivated by just unresolved anger. And we're going to, I mean, if you think about it, you had racial hatred for the Emmanuel AME Church in 2015. You had a domestic situation for Sutherland Springs in 2017. You had the probably anger and revenge for rejection for the YWAM in Arveda and, um, and New Life Church in 2007. Then you have general hatred towards religion itself, and that's, you know, Wedgwood Baptist Church in 1999. And then mental illness, of course, too, that uh, kind of gets into that, can be part of that unresolved anger that kind of creates a type of insanity like we have in this situation, the Turner uh, Monumental and AME Church in 2003. So basically, I mean, one of the big motivations for murder is vengeance. It's revenge. It's hate. It's anger that just builds and builds into people. And so that's what happened in this situation, as we'll be covering real soon. But before that, um, make sure you share this program with your friends, your family, your fellow workers, your church, and have a discussion about the lessons learned here and how your church, your team, might be able to take some actions to reduce the risk of it happening to you. All right, so let's get into the details of this. Um, SASH is an unincorporated community in northern Texas, close to the Oklahoma state line and not far from Texarkana. Um, In 2005, when the shooting occurred, the population was just over 300 people. Um, To give you a little idea about this, if you look at this church on Google Maps, you'll see it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's a couple houses across the street. One of those houses was occupied by the killer. Um, But you'll see it's wide open. So here's another good example of how just because you're a super small church in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean that violence can't break out. So let's get into the details. On Sunday, August 28, 2005, several members of the church were outside talking after evening service not long um, before sunset. Among them were Pastor James and his wife, Diane, last name is Armstrong, um, Deacon Wes Brown, and Ken and Debbie Wolf. Uh, They were standing in front of the mobile home where the pastor and his wife lived. Um, There was uh, their chatter, their conversation was interrupted by a man who lived across the road. He walked into the parking lot shouting um, shouting about the church's persecution. Um, I, I'm, 
I'm sure what he means is he, he the church persecutes people. Um, his speech was laced with profanity. The pastor and the deacon asked him to please omit the profanity since women were present. He continued, so they asked him to leave. He did leave. He walked back to his house across the street where he picked up two handguns. Getting back into his truck, he drove back to the church, got out, and began shooting um, with his thirty-eight, killing the pastor and the deacon right then and there. Um, the others scattered, and he shot at them. He chased the wolves um, into some trees. So basically the wolves, the man and uh, what were their names again? Um, yeah, it's Ken and Debbie Wolf basically ran for the hills and ran through the wolf uh, woods into the treed area, and he followed them. Luckily, he did not catch them. Um, he finally left, and uh, he got back into his truck, and he drove down the road where he ran into, or he saw a pickup pulling a horse trailer um, that came to a stop at a stop sign there. And uh, two women were returning from their, uh, to their homes after a day of uh, horseback riding. The man pulled up, the killer pulled up behind, and shot at the trailer with his 7mm. The women exited the pickup truck on the passenger side trying to escape, um, but then he ran to the side and shot both of them dead. The shooter got back into his truck and continued to drive south to a cafe where he stopped and fired shots at the cafe in nearby house. No one was injured there. He then drove back home where he barricaded himself in the house when law enforcement arrived. He held deputies at bay with gunfire. Uh, finally, a SWAT team from Paris, Texas showed up. They tried to negotiate with the shooter, but he refused to talk. The standoff lasted all night long. The last shots from the house were um, just before 5.30 in the morning on that Monday morning. And then it was silent. At 6 o'clock, the SWAT team members went in. So 30 minutes later, they went in and uh, without being fired upon. And, of course, they discovered that he had killed himself um, in the house. So we don't know a great deal about this guy. Um, we know that he was, um, he was the youngest of five kids. We knew that he had a prosthetic arm, uh, lower right of his right arm, lower part of his right arm. Um, he apparently made a fairly good living rebuilding antique um, automobile radios. In fact, he had a very good reputation in classic car circles that he was the guy to fix your radio if you needed it. Um, the killer lived uh, with his mother in Garland, Texas for some time before she died in 2001. It's either late 2002 or early 2003 is when he moved to Sash. So he had been living with his mother. And then uh, after she died, he ended up shortly after moving to Sash. Um, in Sash, he had a reputation of being very disagreeable. He argued with his next door neighbor using obscene language, making threats, and even firing his gun. The neighbor had called police several times on him and began carrying a handgun while he was mowing his yard. He believes that if he and his wife had been home at the time of the shooting, they would have been killed too. Um, we, don't, we do not know about any encounters or any violence or any sort of problems with the church itself. There's nothing to report on that. Um, 
And so it's possible because he was so close to the church that maybe he heard something, um, but that's more speculation than anything else. So the lessons learned that I want to focus on this is simply this, is I want you to, I want to, you to put yourself in the position of being out into that parking lot, like probably a lot of us have done about a billion times, right? You know, after church, whatever, we're out in the parking lot, we're talking to friends and family. And that's exactly what they were doing here. Let's put ourselves in that situation and then think through the process of what would have been the right, what could have been the right thing to do. Now, before we get into that, you know, this, a standard disclaimer here, I believe we honor the fallen by reviewing what went right with them, what went wrong, and how we can improve on that. This has nothing to do with blaming the victims here. We want to learn from them. So let's put ourselves in that situation. The sun is getting ready to go down. Um, you're out in the parking lot and you're having a conversation when this person that you may or may not know his reputation. Now in a town of 300 people, um, I got I to gotta think that they were aware of him to some level, right? There are no secrets in a town of 300 people. As simple as that. Um, even in a town like mine that I live in now, 7,000 people, it's pretty hard to keep a secret in this town too. So, so he walks up. Based on his profanity, based on his behavior, the yelling and screaming, the accusations that he's somehow being persecuted by the church, all this kind of stuff certainly would get our attention, right? Now, what happened in this situation is instead of using verbal de-escalation to kind of talk him down or try to, you know, negotiate with him a little bit, you know, who knows if they would have been able to talk him down, but instead they did two bad things, right? The first bad thing they did is they told him not to swear, not to use profanity, this is the least of our concerns when dealing with somebody as irate and out of control. I can just imagine what he must have looked like, remember? Because he's only he's moments away of being able to use deadly force. This was not a friendly, you know, or you know, a slightly hostile situation. I imagine it was extremely hostile. The words he was saying, the yelling, the screaming, all of this. And so that's a, we should have been using verbal de-escalation, not insisting on him not swearing. The other thing is, is asking him to leave um, is sometimes a good solution, um, but we should engage them a little bit to see if we can't use verbal de-escalation. So basically, we shut them down for swearing, and then we shut them down for like, we're not, we're not even interested in talking to you, you have to leave. And so... I think those are some tactical or strategic errors that they made. The other thing is this, is at that point when you're having that argument, think about your, your basic contact cover situation. The person that's engaging him verbally is engaging him verbally. That's what they need to pay attention. The cover person is to make a safe space, right? We want to get people out of the area and then have an overwatch position to be able to assist that contact person. Now, when we think about that, normally we're thinking somebody's yelling and we're approaching them and you have your contact cover. But in this case, the bad guy approached them. And so now you have to make these adjustments, right? You have the contact person probably selected 
by default, the pastor probably, um, and then the cover, you know, somebody else, you know, but get those people out of there. At that point, two things could have been said to those people. Either go back into the church and go into lockout. Now, I'm assuming the church was locked um, at this point because they're leaving. Um, but still, could they have gone back into the church, gone into lockout, called 911? I think they could have done that. Or at least, y'all need to get in your cars. Let's go. Um, and let's get out of here. But still, somebody needed to call 911 sooner than later. Okay, so now let's continue on. He then leaves and goes back to his house. And maybe at that point, we'll all have a little sigh of relief, right? Hopefully, we've already called the police. They're on their way. And that's okay that he went back to his house. Because when the police get here, there at the church, you could say, well, he walked back over to his house and let the police go take care of it if the police showed up at that time. But other than that, he goes back to his house Maybe still, you know, if we went into a lockout at the church, we're waiting for cops inside the church. If we haven't done that and we're still just kind of hanging out, that's also a window to leave, right? It's like, okay, let's jump in our cars and get out of here. Obviously, our presence is aggravating this person. Um, you know, we can always talk later, you know, have a great night and leave. And or wait for cops, whatever. But you see what I'm saying? There's all these opportunities. From the point he gets back out of his house and he's getting in his truck and now driving over, how aggressive was that driving over? He's returning. How many, how many of these situations has the person gone outside, you know, left the church, gone outside to their car to retrieve a weapon or go outside to psych themselves out or go outside to whatever they're doing? Somebody leaves and is coming back. That's a warning sign. And so he's now driving at them and at that point, I think, you know, I'm going to keep the wolf, uh, yeah, the, the wolf family, they, you know, obviously went running, but the pastor and the deacon were shot dead right then and there. And then he chased the other couple into the woods. And so, once again, how do we respond to that? They're coming back over. It's, we have to be prepared. I think the wolves had the right idea. It's running. They're getting out of there at that moment. But it's really too late for the pastor. It was too late for the pastor and the deacon. So that's that's how we have, I guess, so what I wanted to just do there is this. is We talk often about suspicious behavior and we say, if you see something suspicious or potentially violent person, this is what you, you know, then you need to start reacting and doing stuff. Well, here's a pretty good example of this potentially violent person. And all the right steps that we could make along the way before it got to the point of people getting shot. But then, of course, once people start getting shot, at least the wolves took off running. And it probably saved their life. And I'm sure it did. 100% saved their life by running. Um, it would have been better, possibly, of having a firearm there. But, you know, action is faster than reaction. You still might have a dead pastor and a dead deacon because clearing leather and being prepared. So really what it comes down to is this. The lessons learned is the sooner we act on these type of situations, especially something like this, the better. We, they had an opportunity. There is an opportunity to retreat into the church, call police, lock it down, 
um, especially once he started, you know, especially in that early stages, clearing that area. Let's go into the church. Let's call 911. Let's wait for the deputy to show up. We can all just kind of hang out in there watching him and uh, make sure nothing bad happens. Or at least once he left and he's coming back, that's definitely a we need to get out of here. We need to get out of here fast. So um, I hope I hope that helps. You're probably going to have other lessons learned, things that you could do. You know, have these discussions with your team. How do you deal with that situation? You're standing there minding your own business. A guy pulls up. You know, how are we going to deal with that? What if it, it unfolds like this slowly? What are all the things we can do in those steps along the way? Go into lockdown. Have that contact cover. Let's not argue over profanity, on the, certainly on the front end of an engagement. Um, telling someone to leave can be a right answer sometimes, but at this point, I think you have to read, you know, every situation is different. I think you have to read it. I think for them it was a mistake because he left angry, and that means he might come back angry. So other than that, if you like the video, please comment, share, like it, all that good stuff. You know, let's have a conversation. What do you think about this situation? How might you uh, have responded in a way that would have saved lives? Um, other than that, thank you for joining us this week, and hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.